0: The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. This is a really interesting day for me, kind of a neat day. Um, Preaching, we find ourselves as we continue our sermon, our series, excuse me, in the book of Galatians, verse by verse study, in chapter thirteen, or chapter five, verse thirteen, today we're going to go through verse twenty-five. And it just hit me this week, uh, Larry and Fern. You may remember this. This was the first sermon in church I ever pre- preached. I'm sure, sure you remember the text I preached, right? Some twenty years ago, in Mount Zion Christian Church, with trembling knees, kneecaps that kind of. You guys may have been there as well. I'm not sure, but um, listen, I, I preached my heart out. In this text and from this text. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, I knew the Lord had called me to preach. But I, I was not good in front of people. I didn't mind singing. I could sing in front of 10,000 people. But if I even had to introduce a song, I just would kind of clam up and I, my knees would kind of wobble and I'd feel like I was going to pass out. And I won't, I'll, I'll, I won't ever forget this. Firm, you may not, but... You and, and Vicki and some other people were back in the back before I went out to preach. And they literally had to lay hands on me because I thought I was going to hyperventilate. And I'll never forget, you know, in our weakness, God is strong. It's hard telling what I said that evening. Um, but I studied and the Lord did a work. And I remember a, an altar filled with people. Um, and I just was, it was the Holy Spirit. There's no other explanation for it. And there, I, I see this text in a lot different way than what I saw uh, some 20 years ago through through study. But I just, I'm so grateful. If you would have told me in that moment that in 18, 20 years from now I'm going to be pastoring real life community church or any church for that matter. Be a lead pastor. I, I would have told you you're out of your mind. I meant to, to just lead worship and to be an associate pastor. And so... Just grateful for God's faithfulness that He has sustained me for uh, I think it's been almost 20 years and in, in full-time vocational ministry and I, I don't take that lightly. So it's a joy to preach out of this text today. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I will enjoy it if, if you want at least. So I want to invite you. I know you just sat down, but one more time just for in honor of the Word of God and then I'll let you sit. Um, one week we'll reverse. I'll have you stand and I'll sit down. And... Uh, Galatians 5, chapter uh, verse 13. The Word of God says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and you devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, such things, there is no law. In those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, again, Paul is writing here to the believers who are in the Roman province of Galatia. And he is beyond concern for them because false teachers have entered the church and they are leading the Galatians away from the real gospel. And one of the goals of these false teachers is to take the believers from a place of Christian freedom and move them into a very legalistic place of bondage by putting them, especially under the whole of the Mosaic Law. By the way, there were 613 laws that made up the whole of the Mosaic Law. And so instead of enjoying freedom in Christ and resting in Jesus' finished work, the Galatians are being falsely led into the bondage of trying to earn their way to God which none of us can do. And so we've been celebrating the gospel uh, that, that says that we're justified or we're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so in chapter 5 of Galatians, where we began last uh, two weeks ago, Paul is imploring these Christians not to abandon their freedom. And I would implore you this morning as well, don't ever move back into legalism verse 1, I'll remind you of what Paul says. He says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And so last week I unpacked the first part of chapter 5 as we look together at some of the different facets of gospel freedom. And I'll just kind of summarize the, the, what we talked about last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go to our podcast and you can catch up there But I'm grateful for gospel freedom. Uh, In in gospel freedom, if we're really in Christ, here's what that means. We can be assured that we're sons of God and daughters of God. We have a great assurance. And so that means that you don't have to wonder where you stand with God. That that if you're in Christ, if you are abiding in Christ, that you have this great assurance. We have a freedom that we are free from condemnation. In Christ, how many know there is no condemnation? But yet, how many Christians try to put each other back under condemnation? I hope that you're grateful for that, that you stand here today, if you're in Christ, that you're not condemned, but you're standing in the grace of God because of the sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary, you have gospel freedom. And so Paul knew that the message of grace that he was preaching, that, you know what, we are saved by grace alone, not by grace and works. He knew that that message would find its critics, and it certainly did. And there are people today who would argue with me and say, well, Pastor, if you preach that grace stuff, then you better be careful because people will use it As a license to sin. In other words, they'll say, well, if I'm covered by the grace of God, then I can live like the devil and still make it to heaven. But Paul says in verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, don't use it as an opportunity to sin, but through love serve one another. And then in this passage... He draws out of that argument. And I've heard some really good messages on on the fruit of the Spirit. and, 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 And they weren't wrong messages, but this fits nicely into the argument that Paul is making here about not using grace as a license to sin. So here's the essence of what I want to speak about today. Here's kind of the thesis, so you'll know where we're going. Real born-again followers of Jesus. Alright, I didn't say all church folk, but I said real born-again followers of Jesus, desire to obey God, and do not use Christian freedom as a license to sin. Okay, let me read it one more time. Real born-again followers of Jesus, desire to obey God, and thus do not use Christian freedom as As a license to sin. So, if you're taking notes, I want to begin with this looking at the crux of freedom. The crux of freedom, or you could say the essence of freedom, but we're going to be on the C train today. The crux of freedom. I want you to think about this. True freedom means that I get to pursue what I want to pursue. Would you agree with that? If I can't do what I want to do, then I'm not free. Now the scripture says here, not to use freedom is an opportunity for the flesh, for us to do what our flesh would want to do, or our sinful nature. And then Paul lists these sins out, and this is not an exhaustive list, but he lists several sins there. Now if we have an unbiblical, what is a popular view of Christianity, then we have a problem here. Because... If you have that view of Christianity, you don't have freedom. But Paul's teaching here that we have freedom, yet he's saying, don't walk in sin. So here's what I mean by an unbiblical view of Christianity. Many people think that Christianity is denying yourself what you want. And so they start with rules. You want to be a Christian, well you stop doing this, and you stop doing this, and you stop doing this, and it's this weight that's just put on you. And that's a really low view of Christianity. And if you're spending your however many years that are left on this earth as a Christian, denying what you truly in your heart want to do, then you're not free, I would argue. But the truth is, that is not biblical Christianity. It's a very low view of salvation. See, Jesus, or or Christianity in general, is not an accessory that we add on to our life. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when He draws us to Himself, and by grace, we are saved. You know what happens? We are changed from the inside out. We are what the Bible calls born again. Old things pass away, and new things come. So here's the beauty of the new birth. Real Christians, the text makes very clear, have the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. That's immensely different from lost people, isn't it? From when we were lost. Real Christians, secondly, have the law written on their hearts. We've talked about this, so I'll just briefly mention it. When we are saved, when we are born again, God, by His grace, writes the law on our hearts so that the law or His rules or His statutes are not... uh, They're not difficult for us or a burden for us anymore. But instead, our hearts become bent or angled towards God and His Word. And so that's the beauty. That's what happens in the new birth. Real Christians want to walk in obedience to the Lord. That's the mark of a real believer. So look, look at verse 16 with me again. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not... Gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Now, don't miss this. Look at this last part. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. When that sinful nature rises up against you, you know what it's doing? It's rising up against what you in your heart as a believer want to do, which is the will of God. There's not a real believer that I know that wants to walk in disobedience to the Lord. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with what the New Testament calls a Christian. So when you go in the direction of a sinful nature as a Christian, you're going against that new heart. Who you are is a born-again Believer, let me try to illustrate this. I love the story of the man who had an extra day off work, and he, he's talking with his wife, and he says, "Honey," he says, "I've got this free day. It's not a vacation day. They're giving me a day off work. And I can do anything I want to do." And she says, "Well, what are you going to do?" He says, "Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to take Greg, and I'm going to take him. I'm going to fix his bike, and then go on a bike ride with me." And he says, "Then I'm going to, I'm going to take Sarah, and, and, and I'm going to take her shopping this afternoon." And then I'm going to walk around the mall with her. then after that, I'll take her on the volleyball practice. I'm going to stay and watch her game. And his wife says, well, that doesn't sound like much of a day off. And he said, it is if you love your kids. And the truth is, it can be that way spiritually too. It applies there as well. See, when when you are born again, I'm not saying when you become religious. I'm saying when you are truly saved, born again, your heart is so set on, uh, its affections are set on God. You love Him so much. And you do not want to walk in disobedience. I didn't say that there's not a struggle ever, But I said that ultimately what you want, the desire of your heart is God. The desire of your heart is obedience. That's the mark of a real Christian. This reminds me, if we go back to Galatians 2.20, what Paul says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, watch this, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, we are free because by God's grace, our hearts are angled, just like Paul's, towards pleasing him and obeying his word. So, what God is asking us to do in his word and what our hearts want to do most, that's the same path. Thus, Christians are really free. So look look at verse 24 with me before we move on here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified. There's a past tense crucifying that takes place. They've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so here's what that means. Our sinful nature no longer has dominion over us. I was telling the, the gentleman at the house, the halfway house today, you know, people tell them, you're always going to be an addict. And I said, don't you believe that? I said, without Christ, maybe that's the case. But I know the deliverer. Hallelujah. Amen. And see, when you come to Christ, and I'm looking this morning, we had a little crowd, but uh, about four guys that I really believe are born again. And they want to serve God. And it's like they just lit up with joy to know that That they don't have to be under the dominion of that sin anymore. Hallelujah. We're free indeed. So our hearts are bent towards loving and serving God. Serving people. And then, here's what's great. The Holy Spirit enables us to fulfill those desires. Friends, that is freedom. So that's the crux of our freedom. The essence of our freedom. Being able to do what we want to do. Secondly... Let's look at the continuation of our fight. Because I don't want you to think that there's no struggle anymore. That there's not a temptation anymore. Though our sinful nature has been crucified, there are remnants of that old man, that old woman, that, that, that sinful nature that tend to rise up at the worst of times and go against God's will for our lives. Look at with me at verse 17. For the flesh desires... The desires of the flesh, excuse me, are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's a war going on. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What he's saying there, and that's what I mean, even the Ten Commandments, you're not under them. In other words, they're not a burden to you. Are the Ten Commandments still important? Absolutely. But they're not a burden to us. They don't sit on our shoulders like a weight. Instead, when we're walking by the Spirit, we're gladly obeying the moral law of God. See the difference? And then he says, verse 19, Now the work of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then in case your sin's not in there, he says, in things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, a real follower of Jesus, don't miss this, is not someone who is completely free of bad temptations or desires. A Christian is a person who is at battle with those desires. The very fact that you have a war going on inside of you... Is a good indicator that you have the Holy Spirit, that you are a child of God. Otherwise, you wouldn't care. Lost people don't have that same. They may have somewhat of a moral compass, but not the same type of conviction that you have. So, the very fact that if there's conflict in your soul, if you will, that's evidence that you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. So. You don't feel bad because you have these remnants of that sinful nature popping up and, and wanting you to sin. Here, here's, the, here's the fact. Your sinful nature, the old you, does not like the new you. Okay, so there's this kind of, you know, that's why I talk to myself. That's my excuse, alright? Um, if you know me, that was funny So because I do this all the time. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, health is really, really important to me. Three, four years ago, my eating healthy and working out rigorously changed my life. I was able to get off six medications, felt better than I ever felt in my life, changed my sleep patterns, affected my relationship, and believe it or not, affected my relationship with God. Health is really important to me. I mean, in the depths of my heart. So this past week, I've I've started trying to get on the health Bandwagon, how we just fall off that wagon every now and again, right? Like, yeah, I just try to get back on and and making good choices with my food. And um, I said, Lord, I really want to do this for Your glory. I I want to take care of my body. And so I was privileged on all week. I I did very well, and I was privileged on Friday to get to go to Big Blue Madness. Don't be jealous, Dylan and I went. And um, guess who sponsored Big Blue Madness? One of the sponsors. Close. Papa John's. Now, if you don't know me, pizza is by far my favorite food. I love me some pizza. I can can tear it up, alright? I love it. And so, I'm like, I hate you, devil, because here's what's happening. I'm up in, we're like in section 230, row L. I mean, we're nosebleed, alright? And that's the section that the Papa John's pizza mascot decides to stand in. I wanted to push him off the, the balcony, but I didn't, because I love Jesus. That was the flesh. But, but I, in, in all seriousness, in my heart, this illustrates this so well, in my heart, I want to eat healthy, but the stupid flesh always is going, eat pizza, eat pizza, eat a burger, eat, eat fries, whatever. And, and, and I have to crucify that sucker daily, alright? Every day I have to crucify that flesh. And it works the same spiritually. The godliest of people are tempted. Do you know that Jesus was even tempted? The Bible says in every way. Yet, without sin. So, just because you have bad desires or temptations, as long as the greatest desire of your heart is to serve God, don't think that, oh my gosh, there's something wrong if you know if, if, if this temptation comes up. No. That's the war that's going on. Uh, Paul... Was in this war. He, he talks about it. Sometimes I do what, what I don't want to do. And I, I don't do what I want to do. We feel that struggle. Do you feel that tension in your life. I feel it almost every day of my life. The remnants of that flesh. Paul goes on to list the works of the flesh. In verses 19 through 21. You could put these in three different categories. I think there's two different ways. We could categorize this at least. One way to do it is to put it in three different categories. We have the category of sexual immorality, sexual sins. So we we have what he calls actually sexual immorality is what what he uses here. And it's sexual intercourse between unmarried people. He calls that a, a sin or a work of the flesh. Then we have impurity, which would include all kinds of perversions and unnatural sexual practices and relationships. And then you have sensuality, which is to have an uncontrolled sexual appetite. And this would include pornography and and, and a slew of different things. And then he goes on from sexual sins and he talks about uh, religious sins. Namely, adultery and sorcery. And adultery is list. It's not just having a golden calf in your yard that you worship every day. I hope nobody here has that. But I would suggest that many people have idols today that don't have the golden calf but they still have idols. An idol is anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that you put above God. It could be money. It could be your job. It could be vacation. It could be a hobby. It could be hunting, fishing. I'll find you. Hold on. It could be your family. It could be good things. Your family. And then we have what we, what we call social sins. These are more accepted in the church but the same list. Enmity, which is hostility. If you're a hostile person, Strife, bitter disagreement, always negative, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, which is disagreement that leads to kind of discord, envy, drunkenness, orgies, this would be drunken orgies, it's connected with that word drunk. So we have sexual sins, religious and social sins, but let me tell you another fascinating way to categorize these. You have sins that are characteristic of legalistic religious people, Namely, enmity, strife, jealousy, dissensions, envy. This happens all the time with legalistic folk. Versus sins that are more often associated with non-religious people, like sexual immorality and drunkenness. But here's the, here's the deal. Don't miss this. This list shows that God doesn't make the distinctions that we make when it comes to sin. The attitudes of legalism are just as serious as blatant sexual immorality neither are okay but they're the same now just think about that for a moment because while we're sitting back and judging people who are living what we would call loose lives we're biting and devouring people and negative and causing dissensions everywhere we go just critical, 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 critical and we call it caring no you don't you're me and it's a sin and here's what Paul says back to his point Remember, his critics are going, listen, you preach the grace message, people are going to use it for a license to sin. But Paul refutes it. Look at verse 21. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the word do here, when he's talking about do, it's in the present active participle, if you look it up in the Greek. So it really means those who continue in these things. It's talking about habitual sin, not the occasional lapse. And here's the point. People who are justified by God's grace, remember verse 24? They've crucified the flesh. They don't walk, they don't habitually walk in that sin. Why? Because they don't want to. The flesh has been crucified. Someone who habitually lives like this has not seen God or known Him. 1 John chapter 3. And even if they go to church, even if they read the Bible, even if they wear their hair a certain way and and are modest and, and do religious things, listen to me, doesn't mean they're justified before God. Because legalism doesn't save you. It doesn't matter. Christians, Paul's point is this, Christians are not going to use this message of grace as a license to sin. This is why I can confidently preach and preach and preach on the grace of God. Because if you're really saved, then you're never going to use this as a license to disobey the Lord. And here's the beautiful part of this. Not only do our hearts as Christians want to please God the Holy Spirit actually enables us to do it. Look at verse 16 Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit you're not under the law I love that Here's what I want you to know You're not alone in this battle you're not alone in this battle. We are indwelt Christians by the Spirit of God. He's enabled you through His power not to walk in your old ways. That's incredibly freeing. I love what John says, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you, listen to this, so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, in other words, if you have a lapse, if that remnant... Wins a little battle at times. He says, you do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But I want you to get a hold of that first part. I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. Don't ever walk around thinking that you have to succumb to the temptations that come your way. From the enemy, from your sinful nature. God has given you His Spirit. He's given you a, a new heart that wants to obey Him. And He's given you His Spirit, which enables you to walk in that victory. Isn't that good? What, that is freedom. I, I, I love that. So, here, here's what we do. Because we belong to Christ, we have the Spirit. So we don't succumb to sin. All we have to do is keep in step with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead us. You know what that is? It's faith. It's faith. Galatians 2.20 again, I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He's radically different from the inside out. And now watch what he says, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. That's the essence of the Christian walk. Real Christians have the Spirit of God and we should constantly look to Him. Constantly look to the cross. Rest in God's promises that are yes and amen. This is the way that we walk in victory in this irreconcilable battle between the sinful nature and the Spirit of God. If you leave out of here thinking, oh, I've got to look at that site on the computer or I've got to cheat myself you know, in... in, Climbing the corporate ladder, you know, to get ahead. I have to do things kind of that that aren't real ethical. I have to disobey the Lord in whatever area. If you think you have to do that and you don't have the power to change, you never will. You've got to constantly look to Christ. Constantly look to God. And don't try. See, legalists try to do it in their own strength. They say, I can, I can, I can. What I want you to do is look to Christ and say, He has, He has, He has. And He's died for you. He's become a curse for you so that you're no longer under the curse of the law. And He has given you His Spirit. Hallelujah. Which enables you to walk in victory over that stinking flesh. Amen? I love that. Religious people, depending on their own strength, try their hardest to stop evil acts. And that's the, that's where it stops. But you know what? There's, there's one more point I'll just talk about for a moment. Because legalistic people, though they try to be really, really righteous, you know what? There's no spiritual fruit. You know why? You can manufacture works. But I don't think Paul uses this word accidentally, fruit. You can't manufacture fruit. You can manufacture works, but you can't manufacture fruit. So the Holy Spirit, not only get this, not only enables us to overcome the flesh, but you know what else He does? He also produces spiritual fruit. And I love this. So number three, the certainty of spiritual fruit. The certainty of spiritual fruit. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I plan to unpack those on Wednesday. If you're not coming Wednesday night, you're missing out. Uh, I'm going to unpack those, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit on Wednesday. God willing. But here's what I want you to see to, in, in context of the message today. Spiritual fruit is inevitable in the life of a believer. We've said this over and over, but if the root is right, the fruit is right. You get the root right, the, the fruit will come. You know, people try to bear fruit on their own strength, but it's the wrong approach. We need to look to Christ. Look at verse 24. Those who, after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's the emphasis, have crucified the flesh. Why can we crucify the flesh? How can we bear spiritual fruit? Well, it comes by virtue of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love this. Tim Keller points out in his Galatians commentary that the Fruit of the Spirit is actually symmetrical, meaning that it's a package deal. You'll notice in the text, I know I'm not the first one to point this out to you, but he says fruit of the Spirit, singular, but yet lists many fruit. Have you ever thought about why he does that? There's some different theories, and there are two really popular ones, and I think both of them bear into this. One is is that the first love if you have love, you have all the fruit. You're going to be joyful. You're going to have peace and patience. If you're loving, you're going to be kind. So on and so forth. So you have the first fruit, love, you've got them all. But I think there's a, another reason here. It's because Christians don't just get one or two of these characteristics. It's not for you to say, well, you know what? I, I'm a pretty person of peace, but so-and-so is going to be a little more loving. I'm just, It's just not me. no. As a Christian, it's the, the package deal. You don't get to pick and choose. So we get the whole package. Now, here's what's interesting this fruit is progressive. The minute you're regenerated, I believe that fruit, because you have the Holy Spirit, it's His fruit, you have it. But it's kind of like the peach tree right out front of our building here. How many of you have noticed we have a peach tree out there? Hey, who he took my peaches? I was on some cobbler. That flesh rising up again. Listen, I love pulling in in season to that, uh, to that parking lot and seeing the, the, the little peaches start to, to grow. And day by day, I mean, just minute change, minute change. And then before you know it, you have this big, delicious peach. And that's kind of how our growth is. We get the fruit of the Spirit, but it's not always real evident when you're first a Christian. But there's a a, a spiritual process that happens in the life of every believer. Big word, easy to understand. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus day by day. And so what happens is the fruit is in your, your life, and day by day, as you're growing in Christ, that fruit is getting more evident and more evident. And you know what happens? You know what happens? A year down the road, two years down the road, ten years down the road, whenever it might be, you come in a, uh, upon a really tough situation in your life where you would have lost it before. And you exemplify patience or love or kindness when you would have cut the person a year ago. And you go, where'd that come from? Like the first time I didn't notice the peaches out there growing and I just walk out and I have this tree full of peaches. And I thought, what in the world? And so you'll, as a Christian, you, that might happen to you. We don't always see it growing. It's minute day by day. There'll come a day when people will see you and you'll see yourself. And you'll look in the mirror and go, wow, how did this happen? If you're not growing in the fruit of God, there's an issue. There's an issue. So, closing with this. 1941, the State of the Union address, Franklin D. Roosevelt articulated vision for what a post-war world would look like. And he included in this speech four different freedoms that he thought every nation ought to have, every person ought to have in the world. The freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom of want, and the freedom of fear. And these are great aims, but the list is not complete. Great commentator Warren Worsby points out that there's actually a fifth freedom that the world needs. You know what it is? We need freedom from ourselves, the enemy within. We need freedom from the tyranny of our own sinful nature. You see, legalists believe that they have the answer by law and threats. But you know what Paul has shown in Galatians? that law and threats cannot change your heart. Can't change your heart. It is not the law on the outside, but what is it? It's the Spirit on the inside that changes us. See, God has dealt with the... In Christ, He has dealt through Christ. He has dealt with the root issue, our own depravity. True Christians have the Holy Spirit... In our job, as Paul points out, we just stay in step with Him. We just follow His lead. And as we are satisfied in Christ, and we continue to look to Him, we trust in His promises, we will continue to walk in step with the Spirit. That's why it's so important that you walk in faith. Continually look to Christ. Make sure that you are satisfied in Him. Faith come by hearing and hearing by the Word. Fill your life with the Word of God so you are a man or woman of faith. Walk in that faith. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you delight yourself in the Lord, here's the beauty of that. You don't need sin to make you happy. You don't need a vice to make you happy. Jesus is more than enough. That's the beauty of this. And because we have the Holy Spirit, see, lost people are kind of veiled. To the glory and the beauty of Christ. But not the Christian. The veil has been lifted. Hallelujah. The scales have fallen off of our eyes. Just like Paul. So that we might see the glory. And the wonder. And the beauty. And the magnificence of Christ. He's an awesome God. And He is completely satisfying. And when you get a revelation of that. Everything that used to delight your heart. Kind of pales in comparison. You realize that you've never known happiness. You've never known joy. Until you know Jesus. So what do we do we do? We work to stay satisfied in Christ. We pray. We study. We come together as believers. We encourage one another. We exhort one another. And we listen to the leading of the Holy Ghost. And we walk in those ways. So because of Jesus. His death. His burial, His resurrection. And because of God's amazing grace, those who have trusted in Christ, we're regenerated, we're born again. We're new creations with new desires. We have God's Spirit, which helps us walk successfully in fulfilling those desires. And friends, that is freedom. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? This is freedom, beloved. It's the only type of freedom, real freedom that exists. If you don't know that freedom today, oh, I I implore you to call upon the name of the Lord. I'd be honored to talk to you today. One of our pastors, one of our leaders would, would love to talk to you more about our faith and about Jesus. Would you stand with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for gospel freedom today.